Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our read-through of Catching Fire, discussing chapters three and four. Why don't you start us off with a recap? So after Snow leaves Katniss's house, she decides to discuss Snow's threat with Hamish before anyone else. Then her prep team and Senna arrive to get her ready for the start of the tour. During the train ride to District 11, Katniss confides in Hamish, and he tells her that she'll have to play being in love with Peeta for the rest of her life because they'll be paraded out every year in front of the cameras. Peeta approaches her to apologize for not handling the news well that the star-crossed lovers was mostly an act on her part. He wants to try to be friends. Oh, Peeta. <laughs> Once they get to District 11 and address the audience, Peta says that they will give one month of their victor's winnings to Rue and Thresh's families, which is unprecedented. Aw, Peta. <laughs> Katniss is inspired by this and by looking at one of Rue's younger siblings who appears to be disappointed in her for not saying anything. So Katniss speaks about both Rue and Thresh, and thanks District 11. Then a man in the crowd whistles Rue's four-note tune, and the whole audience gives her District 12's three-finger salute. Before Katniss and Peeta get back into the Justice Building, they accidentally see the man who did the whistle get pulled up onto the stage and shot in the head by peacekeepers. Okay, well, why don't we get into it? What are your striking moments, the parts that really stuck out to you? One of them is just that I get Katniss so much, particularly in these chapters, her just distress about the situation with Peeta after she realizes, oh, this is probably going to be forever, and oh, is Snow going to try to threaten other loved ones of mine if I don't marry Peeta, if I don't have children so that those can then be reaped? And as she's thinking about Hamish, maybe he made the same choices that she wants to make. Yeah, I just, I don't understand how you could bring kids into the world, into the reaping. Especially if you were a victor and you you went through this. Mm -hmm. And how could you subject them to the horrors of Penem? She gets that, and I get that. <laughs> I'm like, yes, finally a character that gets it, you know? And, yeah. and also, after Snow leaves, and her mom is like, you know, is everything okay? She reassures her mom that, oh, President Snow, this is just something you never see on camera, but he always comes and talks to the victors before the victory tour. There's a line that says... I think about how there was no going back after I took over caring for the family when I was 11, how I will always have to protect her. And I'm just like, oh, I get you, Katniss. <laughs> like, there are certain things you learn to do when you're young, when certain dysfunctional things are happening or certain gaps that you have to fill in when you're younger than you should have to fill in for those. And... Yeah, that that doesn't just go away. Mm -hmm. So I get her and she's written great. Yeah. I wonder if Suzanne Collins had a similar childhood. Mm. 
it's quite insightful for someone who had no experience yeah. in that. I mean, or it could be one of your best friends or, you know, something. But, um, yeah, the, I think those are the types of feelings that can be hard to imagine versus you just, you feel them. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I just adore is in the conversation between her and Peta after he apologizes and everything, he's just not presuming anything because he can tell that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. But he recognizes that she may not feel comfortable telling him what's wrong at this point, and, and he doesn't pressure her to do so. He's just like, let's start with something more basic and asks her about her favorite color you know mm. and and i just i really appreciate that he recognizes that he is not entitled to anything about her her thoughts her affection her stresses mm-hmm. and he doesn't push it yeah he just automatically oh okay i'm just gonna back up from this she doesn't want to talk about this right now or maybe ever And I love how the chapter shows how successful that is, too, because as we talked about last episode, Katniss before would feel anxiety, fear, worry when she just heard Peeta's voice. But now, when she gets her orange dress, she immediately thinks... Oh, he'll like this. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a subtle but really powerful way of showing he has become her friend in a way that I don't think he ever had been before, where she is thinking of him and his interests and his likes just based off of how their relationship exists rather than how the capital is making them exist or him having to deal with his hurt feelings or or anything like that. Like, I just, I think it's a really nice set of moments. She saw a color orange and the first thing that came to her mind was Peta likes orange. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And it really worked too, because the first thing after he says, I know that you would die to try Mm -hmm. to save me, but I don't even know what your favorite color is. And the first thing she does is smile. Mm -hmm. Again, like we talked about in book one, he's just very good and intuitive to figure out ways to help her de-stress or to distract her from things that are really troubling or difficult just by being himself being Peter, being great ah Peter. speaking of ways that Peter is great the line for me it's better to wake up with a paintbrush than a knife in my hand yeah i have a little emoji heart in my notes (laughs) (laughs) i mean as a pacifist this is such a great line but also having been thinking about him and and depression and potential Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation i wonder if that could be a component as well yeah i'm sure he sees haymitch as a path that he could go down Mm -hmm. and haymitch sleeping with a knife he doesn't want to be that and his art can help him hopefully not definitely but i was thinking of it if it could potentially be I'm not going to sleep with a knife in my hand like Hamish does to attack if anybody comes Mm. around, but instead of to use on others, to use on myself. Mm. That was just a reading that I hadn't had before. I totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, 
the last thing on PETA, and then I'll I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> Normally, it's you talking about PETA too much. <laughs> or can There's you talk no about him? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But since our conversation in our last episode for the final episode for book one, and we were talking about PETA letting love and affection guide his actions Mm -hmm. in a way that undermined the games, I was noticing how him pledging to give that one month of their winnings to Ruin Thresh's families, that that could be an extension of that as well. Mm because that action really undermines the competition of the games and even it undermines the idea of victors yeah and it's it's done in generosity it's done in compassion it's done as a a symbol of thanks and and solidarity which is not what the games are about mm-hmm. at all so yeah I, I think he's still doing that yeah absolutely I think it's telling that... That's why we love you, Peta. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is that's the moment that Katniss falls in love with Peta while we do. <laughs> yeah. She's like, at this moment, no one could do any better mm-hmm. than Peta. And it's just so true. Uh, and it's just something that... Oh, Peta's the best. He's so good. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do everything right. Of course. But the things he does right, he does really right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Peta. Oh, Peter. <laughs> you can bring it episode. back. <laughs> That's the hashtag for your life. That's true. <laughs> oh, what about you? What are your striking moments? Yeah, the first one that I had was when Katniss smells the blood on Snow's breath. Mm, and yum. For one, it made me think, oh, Katniss just knows the smell of blood. Which, of course, she would as a hunter, mm-hmm. and that makes sense. But it also just is something that when I was like, what does blood smell like? I couldn't imagine what blood tastes like, but I don't know because if I can imagine. Because of how much you drink it? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I could imagine how, what it smells like. But regardless, speaking of drinking blood, her imagining Snow dipping a cookie into blood <laughs> yes. was such a great moment. Because it really was. It was it's, I mean, it's horrifying and awful but it's also this great example of how he could be monstrous in a refined or like intentional <laughs> An elite way. way exactly yeah <laughs> yeah uh so it was just like a really great moment i think that I, I i don't know if i remembered that from other readings and reading it this time especially after ballad of song prince and snakes where he saw a mm-hmm. lot more of snow and seeing her understanding of his character or imagination of his character was just, yeah, a, a great moment. Mm-hmm. Narratively, I noticed that while Katniss is reconnecting with the stylists and, and you know, seeing Cinna again and getting her new outfits, she then has this moment where she sees Prim and flashes back to Rue. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that moment because, for one, it provides some exposition. It reminds the audience of Rue as an important person in, in Katniss's experience the book before. But also, it helps to remind Katniss and the reader the stakes in this moment because Katniss is glad to see Cinna. Katniss is talking about, yeah, fashion and her, her new outfits and all these other kinds of things that could be seen as, yeah, more of that kind of like exciting aspects of the games or, oh, look, she gets access to all these new clothes and she's going to be on TV and like the celebrity aspect. But 
this moment, her experiencing that trauma again, helps to remind us as readers, hey, this is still awful. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, don't get caught up in the celebrity because the celebrity is meant to be a mask of the horrors. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The last one I, I had was actually kind of similar to what you were talking about with Katniss and her mom. Mm. I found it really fascinating to see how the Hunger Games helped Katniss become more compassionate to her mom mm-hmm. and more understanding for her mom. Yeah. How she still does lie to her mom. She still does try to protect her mom and, and she can't get herself out of that role. But at the same time, she's also seen how in the Hunger Games, people react differently to trauma. And I think she has a little bit more, yeah, compassion for her mother. I don't know if she forgives her necessarily, but I think that she tries to be more understanding. Um, she's not pushing her away exactly. anymore actively. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just thinking about, again, the goals of the Hunger Games for the capital and how interesting it is to see when they help do the opposite of those goals, when they help to make someone more compassionate through living through it. Mm. Um, and that's not intentional and it's not worthwhile in any way, of course, <laughs> yeah. but it is just another way that I just see kind of weaknesses or, or, or breakages in the system where the system has all of these intentions, but it's also dealing with humans and people are complicated and people can take adversity and grow in certain ways despite that adversity. And so, yeah, it just, I, I guess, was an interesting moment to see that for Katniss and, and something I'll keep an eye out for in other ways that the Hunger Games clearly are able to have outcomes that are against the capital's goals, um, as mm-hmm. Katniss is the best example of. <laughs> but we should move into our next section. So this is from another point of view where we look at scenes from perspectives other than Katniss's. So what perspectives did you want to bring? I was thinking about Prim when the prep team and Cinna are there at the house and the camera crew and everything and just kind of wondering what she was thinking of these capital people Mm. in her home. was just kind of imagining her being a little bit excited about it in spite of herself like she knows the hunger games are bad she knows what almost happened to her she knows what happened to her sister and all of the other kids yet i could imagine it's just when has anything like this ever happened anything this interesting happened in district 12 Mm -hmm. and it's the only time in her life that she would have had people in her home that weren't from district 12 so i could just imagine her curiosity and i wonder since she is still young probably either still 12 or maybe just recently 13 in her personality in general if she is as judgmental of them as as katniss is or if she would be grateful to them to in certain ways because they helped put Katniss on the map in a way that she wouldn't have been going into the games and and that significantly helped her get sponsors which mm-hmm. helped save her life you know and so yeah I was just kind of thinking about how Prim might feel interacting with these people who you would feel complicated things about. Yeah absolutely. Prim's status after the games it, it, I found really interesting because 
she also gets the opportunity to try the skills, the talents that, mm-hmm. that Katniss tries. And, and she's pretty good, good at them. Good at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that that's kind of exciting for her. And she's 12, 13. It makes sense that she might not have as nuanced a view of these things as someone else might. I know that when I was in Cub Scouts and stuff, I wasn't thinking about how Scouts came out of literally scouting Africa for European imperialism and Oh, like, it did? I didn't even realize. Essentially, that. yeah. Oh, the scou- the heads of the scouting movements were people who were saying that these survival skills are useful, especially as we go and explore the new dark continents. Continent. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my god, so bad. <laughs> so yeah. But I was just like, ooh, it's fun to do this race car derby and these crafts and stuff that I'm doing and occasionally learn some yeah some skills that mm-hmm. I certainly lost all of since <laughs> if you ever gained them <laughs> exactly. to begin with <laughs> seriously we know you would survive in the wilderness <laughs> so yeah I, I, Prim's a really really interesting perspective the other person I was kind of thinking about is Snow mm. and him just leaving Katniss's house convinced that ah i've scared her into submission and oh she'll do exactly what i asked her to do now but obviously still being more vigilant during the victory tour than maybe he normally would be yeah and so i was just imagining him watching katniss on stage in district 11 just hoping that she wouldn't say anything she would just leave and then getting mad when Peta offered the winnings and then when she says something and the whistle and the salute happens just him having this flash of anger because i think that that very much is in his personality mm-hmm. but then giving a big sigh and communicating to the peacekeepers to go kill the man now first being really angry but then be like uh okay i guess this is what we have to do reasserting his comfort in control Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i I was just thinking about him thinking that oh well if we kill this man that'll smother the spark Mm. of rebellion in the district because they'll see this and not want this to happen to themselves I'm, i'm sure it did have that effect on some people certainly but he just doesn't understand that personal survival isn't everyone's top priority like it is for himself Mm -hmm. and so yeah i was just imagining him thinking that he has a grasp on everything and then slowly seeing that he doesn't that's so interesting uh I i think you're probably right but while you're talking i was imagining another perspective where Mm. maybe he was watching and he didn't give the order to the peacekeeper the peacekeeper just did it the peacekeepers Mm. themselves were like we need to exert this authority and i could imagine him being like if he is as savvy as we think of him when he talks about the possibility of uprisings for him to see this as oh no these peacekeepers just made it worse um Hmm. but i don't know uh yeah I, I, i could see either way and i think that you're probably more accurate and i think that it makes more sense because certainly he would see executing that man murdering that man as keeping the peace Mm -hmm. you know maintaining law and order and all these other other types of ideas which the peacekeepers are clearly standing in for um so yeah fascinating 
But we do know from Rue in the previous book that the peacekeepers in District 11 in general were already more violent mm-hmm. than the ones in District 12 yeah. that, with the boy that they just shot because he took the glasses and stuff. So, yeah, it could go either way. But what about you? What's your other point of view? I was thinking about how Cinna offers to do the talent for Katniss, how Cinna and Katniss are close for, for a number of reasons, but I think part of it is that even though Cinna has a limited ability to really make an impact that helps Katniss, what he can do, he does so exceptionally in such a considerate way. Mm. And so he does have these talents that I'm guessing in the capital, even he might see as going to waste if he's not, when he's not designing for Katniss, if he's designing for whatever rich patrons he has or yeah. what have you. So, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about him coming up with this idea as a way to really do something meaningful for someone he cares about and someone who his society has done so much to. And yeah, I, I wonder if there's any element of that, how much he feels responsibility or guilt or anything like that, because he is still a celebrity within the capital. Yeah, it just was something that, that it's such a nice thing for him to do, a kind thing for him to do, and a considerate thing for him to do for her. And yeah, I, I just took a step in, second to think more about why, about what was going through his mind when he made that choice. Hmm. Oh, Senna. I was also thinking about the kitchen staff on the train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. make the stew for Katniss because they were clearly trying to please her. It made me start wondering what their perspective was. Were they trying to please her because she's a celebrity? Because she's a victor? Because they like their love story and it's like, oh, this will bring them back. Exactly. As if they want to go back, but yeah, you know. Or do they also see her as rebellious? Someone who spat in the face of the capital. And if they are kitchen staff, they certainly aren't going to be high class. Maybe the, the top chef might, but who knows what the rest of them would be. So yeah, I just, I, I started thinking about a possibility of class conflict within the capital and how those who are lower classes don't have much ability to support the more rebellious people like Katniss. And so when they do, they try to do so in a way, you know, in whatever way they can. And how that does kind of mirror labor movements in our society, which laborers tend to be much less powerful, but the power of their labor itself uh, can can be a, a specific avenue for them to exert their influence on society. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And, and now that's making me wonder if they're the same staff that took them to the capital mm. or back from the capital. Are the people on these trains assigned to District 12? Mm. So have they made food for some of them? If they've been in this job for five years, they've seen 10 tributes go through that they've made meals from and these are the only two to come back, you know? Yeah. The only two they could actually find out their tastes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is interesting could be a personal little kindness even if it's not taking down the system Mm -hmm. my last point here was just thinking about whoever came up with the idea in district 11 to use the district 12 salute Mm -hmm. how like they're giving katniss the bread in the 74th games 
it is breaking precedent. It is breaking the paradigm that districts are enemies, that they are against one another, and that they can build relationship and connection between them. And using a cultural touchstone of another district, I think, is a just a really powerful message and way of doing that. Absolutely. And I mean, it's really a smart, strategic thing to do. Yeah. Well, why don't we move into our touch points? This is where we see aspects of the narrative tying in with things in our own society. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the first one I was thinking about is just the conversation between Katniss and Hamish and him talking about the Capitol will want to revisit the romance and broadcast the details of Katniss's private life for the rest of time. Mm. It's just so like how celebrities are treated in our world yeah. that their private lives are just fair game for paparazzi and tabloids and stuff and with just no consideration for how the person feels about it. It's it's for news, it's for readers' excitement. It's yeah. for controversy. It's for profit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was just really reminding me of that. Absolutely. I was also kind of struck. I, I remember reading before about Katniss wondering what they did to a lot of the boys' faces mm. so that their facial hair didn't grow in. But it was interesting this time. I was like, oh, it said in the arena, at least some of the boys got to keep their body hair. And so I was just wondering who didn't get to and thinking about the history of body hair being labeled as more animalistic mm. or primitive because of certain races that whether they actually have more or not wasn't really a factor. It was just a way to differentiate between white people and other people of color who had more prominent body hair and then that led to people pressuring white women to get rid of their body hair mm. to further differentiate as well as differentiate the supposed two sexes also how people with a substantial amount of body hair were oftentimes dehumanized in things like circuses and things mm. like that. And so I was just kind of wondering who got to keep their body hair and was race a component of who got to and who did not. Yeah, that's interesting. I was also thinking about the first morning on the train, the prep team was knocking back coffee and sharing brightly colored pills. And just that brightly colored pills just brought me right to how ridiculous it is that we put coloring into pills <laughs> and medicine. It's like such a waste of resources. It's not healthy thing to do. It's an advertising thing. It's a thing for profits. And against the backdrop of how impoverished so many of the districts are just Spending that extra extravagance and expense to make the pills look cheerful or pretty, you know, it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's like what we do here. It's completely unnecessary, but um, done anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that moment from a different perspective. Oh, interesting. Because I was like, they're taking uppers. They're probably taking speed. Or mm. Adderall or something that is... I thought they were taking painkillers because they had a hangover, but I don't know. 
see, I could, I suppose that, that makes sense. But for me, I really saw it as like, oh yeah, they're, they're just medicating themselves to have energy in the morning. And it reminded me of things like, like the Wolf of Wall Street, these images that we see white class drug use Mm -hmm. being very widespread. Totally. And how things like cocaine in particular are not at all discussed when we talk about drug use, but are just as illegal and damaging to one's health as drug use in people who aren't in high-powered executive positions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it kind of has this idea of like, oh, these elite people need this to to keep working, keep doing their their high-level work. They've earned a pass. Yeah, but also their work is nonsense. Like, (laughs) here for the prep team, it's just conforming to beauty standards. And (laughs) in the finance industry in the United States... There's nothing there. It's literally just making money off of making money. And it's completely destructive to our society. So yeah, I, I, I saw the, the pills as, as emblematic of a different issue. Mm. <laughs> There's just so many issues to go around in our society to, so to draw parallels between. <laughs> I have one last one and then we can go to yours because I know you have several. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the last one I was thinking about is when they're pulling up to District 11 and seeing this 35-foot fence and barbed wire and watchtowers. And that image was just taking me actually in two different directions. One, to Japanese concentration camps in the United States during World War II. If you just go do a very quick Google image search, for Mm -hmm. Japanese concentration camps, those images will come up and you will see these watchtowers around these terribly constructed housing that they forced Japanese Americans into. Yeah. And the other thing that was really coming to mind was checkpoints in Palestine. I visited Palestine and Israel a a while ago and when we were crossing over between the two we went through a checkpoint and it was a really horrible experience as a a, someone outside of the oppression of the situation because you you are going through this building to to get through the wall to the other side and there are just israeli soldiers on these metal platforms far above your head that are just walking above you with machine guns slung over their shoulder, like pointing down at you, flailing around. And I don't know what was going on because I don't speak Arabic or Hebrew, but sometimes they were just yelling things and they saw me and the other people that I was there with and tried to wave us through like oh clearly you don't look like you're you live in palestine and we just like pretended we didn't see them because we clearly could tell that either we're americans or we're you know western yeah and just the discrimination how horrible it was how dangerous it is Mm -hmm. that all of these palestinians have to go through every single day just to get to work and yeah it was it was really disturbing and troubling and you know i I had 
studied in my university Middle Eastern history in particular and so it's it's not that I didn't know that these things were happening but being there was definitely impacting and so I I think about that too as I'm reading these things Mm. of having these guards above you with machine guns if anyone puts one toe out of line or doesn't even they think that you might be then you could be dead in a second you know yeah yeah it's it's imposing violence on the space absolutely yeah yeah very important thanks for sharing that yeah what about you what other touch points do you see one that I thought of was when Katniss is talking about the talents that she tried, one that they mentioned was flower arranging. And my only experience with flower arranging is as a Japanese cultural <laughs> Ikebana, yeah. Yeah. That's what I automatically pictured too, and I was like, oh, I don't, that's probably not the type that they're talking about. Well, and that's, it kind but of got me knows? wondering. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if there is similar ideas of, of a talent for flower arranging uh, or, or this kind of, yeah, devoted practice of flower arranging in, in other societies. I, I imagine there are, mm-hmm. but it definitely made me think about how many cultural forms are appropriated for performance in media and in yeah, celebrity and things like that. Absolutely true. Yeah. Um, fashion's an obvious example of that. <laughs> As people like to, I mean, borrow from a lot of things, but a lot from Asian cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's so exotic. I was also thinking of martial arts. <laughs> yep. And even something like yoga, uh, which comes mm-hmm. from very spiritual practices, from what I understand, and is very widespread as a form of exercise in society. But, you know, what does it mean for us to take these cultural practices that have important meanings and to utilize them in other forms, and especially when those forms are are so performative. Yeah, just the the flower arranging really kind of stood out to me at this point. Mm, Yeah, totally. I don't know that much about Ikebana, but I can tell you Katniss does not have the right temperament for it. (laughs) (laughs) I did it once when I was in Japan. I did it once as well. I also don't have the right temperament for it. Or maybe not the right temperament, just the right eye for it. (laughs) Yes. I enjoyed it. (laughs) There were a couple things that I was reminded of just from my own personal life. One was when Katniss's mom said that she's too young to have a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. It made me wonder how gendered that was. Because I certainly know that in my family, there was much, much more pressure on my younger sister in her activities, especially in regards to things like romance and social situations than there ever were on me and my brothers mm-hmm. um and yeah it's not uncommon in society totally so I, I wonder you know Katniss obviously is grateful for this but I wonder how it would have been different if that was Peta's mom who made an announcement like that mm-hmm. would they have even thought to exactly mm-hmm. uh and how would that be understood or covered or, or yeah just all these kind of gendered implications that come with expectations for for young people for children at those ages and and what it means for what type of relationships they're ready to have or should be having or are just expected or or accepted that they would have totally yeah yeah another one that that sparked a, a recent conversation i had in one of my classes was 
how Katniss knew just from the makeup that they were putting on her that they were going for, for girlish and not sexy. I mean, I appreciate that those things are at least differentiated. Totally. <laughs> but I, I think it's telling that Katniss is able to see those so clearly when it doesn't have to be explained to her. And when I was talking to my students, we were talking about how in a visual medium for history, the symbols and stereotypes and design that is used, especially in a cartoon that we were looking at, uh, anti-communist cartoon from 1948. Um, <laughs> but the, the ways... Always great. Yeah, really, really great source. But how they utilize specific designs for characters and for their animation because it needs to automatically be understood by the audience. And how stereotype and symbols can often be used in visual mediums in ways that are, are meant to be really accessible and really easily understood. Yeah, it just, it, 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 I think it helps for someone like me who, who frankly doesn't know a ton about fashion or think about that super often. When Cinna and the prep team and all these other, other elements are such an important part of Katniss's journey, those kinds of references help to clarify why they're important. Her discussing like, oh, I can see automatically this is what's happening. It's a description that not only is telling me what Katniss looks like, but it's also showing me what her society would easily read that as. That's just a, uh, a useful thing to include in a written medium, like a book, because we can't see Katniss. We can't make those determinations ourselves, and so they do have to kind of write it out. But even as they're doing so, they're showing us what those meanings hold for someone in their society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why don't we move into our wonderments? These are questions that we have or things that are just on our mind after this reading. What are you wondering about? So one thing I was wondering about is when PETA was showing his talent and the camera crews would have been filming it and he would have been talking about them like Katniss did. And I'm just wondering, what was he saying? Probably not, isn't it beautiful? (laughs) Look at Glimmer made into a mutt. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I'm wondering if he was putting any subtly subversive messages in there because he does have anger at the Capitol and he's also very savvy. And mm-hmm. so I could see him being able to walk that line very skillfully and the people filming not realize. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I have wonderings about that and what any of the people looking at these would think. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the one of Katniss would be like, oh, oh, beautiful. Oh, it's so touching. You know, he painted her, but her lying in a pool of blood, yeah. clove, organizing her knives in her vest and, and things like that. You know, I just, I wonder what that experience was like for him to have to talk about it for the Capitol, as well as how the people who are filming this, or even once it gets to the editors, how they're making decisions about coverage of these things. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. Uh, and also about, yeah, how it's interpreted in the Capitol. I can imagine a lot of people just being like, it's it's like fan art. It's <laughs> this way of celebrating the Hunger Games. 
these pivotal moments in the games that he was a part of. Oh, look, Peter's still giving back. He he loves the games just like we do. He's painting these wonderful masterpieces about it, mm-hmm. uh, which is clearly not his intention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so personal. Mm-hmm. And Katniss, when she's looking at them in the train, doesn't know all of the instances or what was going on. And she doesn't want to look at them anymore because it is bringing back the terrible experience that she doesn't want to be thinking about. But, um, yeah, I wonder if he gave reasons for why and how all that went. Yeah. The other thing I was wondering about was why the teachers in... Katniss's classes growing up didn't go into any detail about the 50th Hunger Games. Mm. If that was their small act of dissent, Mm. they're not celebrating their own district's victor. Mm. They're not idealizing it anyway. They aren't teaching the kids to think that it's great that Hamish did this, that he was victorious and maybe I could be too. I don't know. In our society, we definitely have these hero narratives about people in the military or whatever it is. George Washington, you know, all of these types of things. That this is the only person in the past decades and decades that they could talk about that was quote-unquote victorious, but they choose not to, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. I also wonder if if maybe there's more of an interpersonal reason. Maybe Mm -hmm. some of these teachers know Hamish and they do it out of just respect for him and his trauma. Or if at first they did talk about it like celebratory and then some little second grader went up to Hamish in the square while he was buying his white liquor and was like, oh, Hamish, you're my hero. And he like yelled at the kid mm-hmm. or had this public breakdown I mean, and they're like we need too. to make sure this doesn't happen again mm-hmm. um yeah yeah very interesting what about you what is your wonderment yeah similarly i i was wondering why the education system only refers to district 11 as large like they can't give population statistics they can't mm. give size that you know they, they give so little information about it and yet what what the purpose of that is is it more to make it so that they don't learn about each other to create more compassion or connection with one another or is there something else going on because Katniss's dearth of knowledge about District 11 and her surprise about its extent I think is was really impactful for me this reading mm-hmm. yeah. my final wonderment was why is District 12 so underpoliced? we see that District 11 is overpoliced in how the peacekeepers are, are maintaining such violent control over the population I'm also curious as to why that's the case, why why they have such a violent control by the peacekeepers there. But I also think that District 12 is underpoliced for a totalitarian society like Pan Am, where there's an active black market poaching going on, including selling to peacekeepers. There, there's all these other kinds of things that isn't really even like a web or system of corruption. It's more just... There is a lack of authority to enforce those things. And so, yeah, I just, I'm curious as to, to how that came about, particularly in contrast with District 11. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, that's interesting. I, I could imagine population size could have a role to play. Mm-hmm. The larger the population, if there was to be an uprising, the easier time they would have versus somewhere like District 12 has 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, I'm sure there could be racial factors. I'm sure yeah. there could be factors of, of history if they Geography, have had yeah. other uprisings mm. in district 11 previously yeah. or yeah some of it could be particular people in charge mm-hmm. hey peacekeeper cray in district 12 he likes eating the food at the hob he likes terrible things that are going on there as well so maybe he doesn't care if the if certain rules are broken as long as he benefits from it versus mm. maybe the head peacekeeper in district 11 is more by the book in enforcing laws yeah yeah could be okay well let's head into our intentions this is what we want to take with us after reading these chapters and after having this conversation so something i was thinking about is even when katniss had so many just terrible things on her mind and was feeling so much pressure and so miserable after realizing that she's gonna have to play this role Mm -hmm. for all time and some of her fears might come true but she still thinks about how Effie is feeling Mm. after she snapped at her that nobody cares about the schedule people that she cares about have been threatened the life that she hopes she could have after the games she knows she can't and in the midst of that she still remembers to go apologize to effie Mm. and feel bad about snapping at her and so yeah i guess i just hope to learn to be as compassionate and accountable as as katniss is in moments of significant stress not that i have stress like that but um in moments of stress i can get frustrated more easily i've never seen that (laughs) this didn't happen yesterday (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah katniss just shows an incredible capacity for compassion and and thinking about other people even when such terrible things are happening to her yeah what about you what's your intention I think my intention is to emulate Cinna and to try to be more proactively, considerately giving. Mm. I think that oftentimes I can be caring, but in a reactive way where someone tells me something's wrong and I try to do something to help. But I appreciate how Cinna is taking his own time to come up with ways to be helpful without having to be asked, just seeing a situation and thinking about how he can help best. Mm. Yeah, just offering it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that's going to be it for us today. What's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we are going to be reading chapters 5 and 6, where we find out rich people suck and why. Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. Find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And I hope that you become a supporter of the podcast on our Patreon page. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastellet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or search for Lacelet on Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.